0: Um, I am very thankful for Calvary Chapel Pasadena uh, because at different critical points, uh, your pastor has been incredibly encouraging to us. Um, Seven years ago, we've been in Burbank about 13 years. Seven years ago, we had a chance uh, to buy a building, and I just was not sure if we were strong enough as a church uh, to take on that project. I did not want to bite off more than I could chew. And so I reached out to Pastor uh, Xavier and I came over and he, um, he really encouraged me. You know, he talked about, he told me your story of this church and how God led you and how you bought this property and developed it. And, you know, I, I just said, but I don't know. I just don't know if we have enough people to take this on. And he said, well, how many do you have? I said, well, it's about 300 people. And he said, well, uh, that's about how many people Uh, that we had here in Pasadena when we took this on. And he said, and you know, that's about how many Gideon uh, had. He goes, that's a, that's a Bible number. (laughs) And so um, I'll be honest. I received that as a a word from the Lord. You know, let's, uh, let's go for it. And and really um, ever since uh, we've had a great relationship and um, we come over here and pray with the guys on a periodic basis. And so Tony and Mario and uh, Diego and Henry, all these guys have poured a lot into our church. So, can I just say thank you uh, for your for your church and your pastors? So, uh, if you got your Bible tonight. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter two, and I'm just gonna. I want to pray a blessing on you and your pastor here before I begin. Well, Father, uh, we want to worship you tonight. And and I just thank you for the opportunity to sing and to praise you and to worship you tonight. And Lord, we are just saying uh, you are the Lord. Uh, You are the Lord of us. You're the Lord of the church. You build the church. And it's amazing what you have done here in Pasadena. And Lord, the testimony of this church has gone out. It's encouraged us. And and, Lord, you've used this church to help us in Burbank. And I thank you for that. Lord, specifically, I pray tonight that um, this little break for Pastor Xavier would be a wonderful time. Uh, Would you recharge him? I I pray that these days of rest would just uh, fill him to overflowing and and renew him in the ministry, Lord, that he would just uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and just faithful to the calling to teach the Word and I thank you for his family and for his kids, his grandkids. And Lord, would you bless all of them in this break. And Lord, for us tonight, we just opened the word with uh, an expectation that you will speak to us. And I pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired Matthew to write these words uh, now would come upon us and illumine the word. And, and you would speak to us tonight. You would encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to start uh, reading there in verse 1. Now, after Jesus uh, was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who's been born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come uh, to worship him I want to encourage you uh, to stay focused uh, on Jesus and in particular this whole month of december uh, to worship Jesus and it just seems like that is not easy to do right uh, we have a whole uh, world full of distractions and the things that just in many ways could overwhelm you and take your focus off jesus and uh, the season that should be a blessing and a time of worship uh, can just be drained out of us because of all the busyness and like that. And I, I was drawn to this passage because to me, the wise men represent one of the, the purest examples of worship in the Bible. And I think the, the core reason is that for them to worship Jesus as a baby, uh, there's really nothing obvious in, in the physical that they could receive in return. And so they travel a long way and bring costly gifts to a little baby who can really not even speak back to them, right? There's nothing he can give in return. And that that makes worship pure, right? It's a pure sacrifice, a pure offering. And I just feel like there are many things um, in this chapter that show us you know, how to keep it simple, how, how to... to Focus on Jesus and how to worship him in a way that, you know, honors God. Now, the first thing I noticed here in these, these first couple verses is that, you know, there are things missing. Uh, tradition says all these different things. In fact, I, you know, I enjoy uh, unpacking the Christmas box. You guys have a Christmas box? You bring it out. And uh, I enjoy when we, you know, we have a little nativity set with all the pieces and uh, my kids will fight over that. They, they want to set it up a certain way. And what they're doing is, uh, you know, they're retelling the story. And so you've got your wise men, but then you've got your camels. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, but, you know, the problem is, where are they, right? We don't see camels. Uh, we often think of three wise men. The Bible doesn't say uh, how many there are. It just says wise men. Uh, I'm thinking, where are the shepherds? No shepherds here. In Matthew 2, uh, they've come and gone. There's no sheep. Um, there's not even a manger in Matthew 2. As we keep reading, Jesus will be referred to as a young child. Uh, this story happens after. It's not mixed together with what happened with the shepherds. and uh, So there's not a manger, and you could say there's not even really a baby. <laughs> we have more a young child, an infant. It happens later, and what happens is tradition sort of uh, mixes all in and there's things that aren't there uh, and tradition has a way of doing that there are things that um, well tradition has a way of limiting uh, worship we think that uh, you need certain things and it has to be done in a certain way you know even for us uh, we can think that you know we'll limit worship to a certain style of music or you In Calvary Chapel, we need to have guitars, right? If we don't have guitars, it's not worship. Or uh, if it's not at church, uh, how can I worship? And yet, uh, the Bible teaching on worship, the truth about worship, is much better than the tradition. Uh, Even in this story, uh, it's very likely that the truth is that these wise men, that that phrase, it's one word in the Greek, magi, are probably connected... uh, back with the book of Daniel, where it talks about wise men and king makers, and that these prophets, they were probably influenced by uh, the prophet Daniel. And as they come, uh, they're probably not on camels, right? They're probably on white Arabian horses, and they've come, you know, to anoint a king. And, and the truth of the story, probably far more dramatic and dynamic than, than the traditions. And truth, truth is like that. It's better right if you could could you flip over to john chapter 4 and i want to read something jesus said about worship i think the key new testament passage on worship is something jesus said in john chapter 4 to the woman at the well what's the truth about worship here it is, from, right from the mouth of Jesus. John chapter 4. I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Uh, you worship what you do not know. Uh, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth what are the ingredients of worship it's it's in spirit and in truth it's not locked down to a particular uh, time or place, you would never want to limit worship to a building or a church or a style of music. Uh, it's in spirit and in truth. So in other words it's it's unlimited. It can happen anywhere. Uh, it can happen anytime. but when we as believers uh, in the spirit are celebrating the truth, worship happens. and, and this sort of unlimits worship. A tradition has a way of limiting it, but the truth is uh, not limited. God is spirit. And, and those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I find there are many times where God just shows up. Uh, I actually anticipate, I expect it. You know, this time of year, uh, we have to shop. We don't have to shop, but we do shop. And uh, I, I you, you're out and about in and, and those songs, right? The great songs of the church, uh, they're out there. And I don't know about you, but... Every every year at this time, there's going to be some point where uh, I'm out and about. I'm in a place where I'm not expecting it. I'm, I'm in a mall or places that I never want to be. I never want to go. And all of a sudden, uh, these songs of Christmas that exalt Jesus and speak the truth about Jesus, you know, they're there. And as a worshiper, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm listening and I'm realizing, right, I'm, I'm in the middle of uh, a mass of people who are just running around. And and, and suddenly I'm aware Uh, that this song's about Christ. And I find myself, I start to sing. And I could be in the middle of all that, right? In the least likely place. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God will touch my heart and and remind me that, you know what this is all about? It's all about Jesus, right? God's Son and the gift of His Son. And you just stop in the middle of it all uh, and you worship. And I find that, you know, this month, I've got to do that. Over and over and over. And what Jesus is saying is it's not on this mountain up there in Samaria. Not even in Jerusalem. You know, the Holy Land. Uh, that when it comes to worship, God is spirit. Not only that, he said the Father is actually seeking worshipers. Not even so much about you trying to somehow uh, get God's attention. Right? Worship isn't about us getting god's attention or singing loud enough for him to hear like he's far away Uh, jesus just said the father's seeking he's looking for worshipers and so it's like the moment my heart begins to to just think on the truth and when the spirit of god brings that truth alive and that truth's on fire there's worship in the presence of god and in the midst of it all right jesus is with us and, and we're worshiping him And this is worship. This is what Jesus described. There's no uh, limitations on a time or or a place where He can minister to our hearts and we can exalt Him in in the midst of it all. And and this is just a a thing of a a life and a habit that says, Lord, anytime, uh, anywhere, we can call on Your name and You can be exalted because worship is, is God." who is spirit and in in spirit and in truth, the father ministers to our hearts. Now go back over there to to Matthew chapter two. And we're there in verse three. When Herod, the king heard this, uh, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. always found this really surprising. Uh, when Herod asks the, the leaders where Christ would be born, that they actually knew the answer. And you, you know this is the prophet Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. Uh, they know where the Christ would be born. And you would think, right, that there would be uh, a watch, you know, that there would be an eye on Bethlehem and a passion. But we don't have any evidence of that. But they did know the scriptures and they knew the right answer. And this phrase, uh, verse 5, it is written. You could say that that becomes the key phrase of the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew, more than the other four Gospels, is quoting the Old Testament over and over. And Jesus, at every turn, when he is answering a question or preaching, uh, this phrase comes out of his mouth over and over. It is written. Uh, Jesus had the Bible in Him, and for every answer to every question, right? Uh, This is what the Bible says, and this is what we need to do. And I would say, especially, again, regarding worship, there are some people that feel like they can worship God any way they want to. You know, that kind of sounds good, right? Uh, I worship God in the way that I feel, right? Have you heard this before? I like to go out in the woods. And and it's like, well, okay, but listen... (laughs) It is written. Uh, the scriptures teach us about worship and about who God is. The, the scriptures talk about in spirit and in truth. And it's the source of truth. And if we're going to worship God and really connect with God and know God, you better have your Bible open. You know, that's the beauty of this is that they knew the scripture. It is written. And this becomes like, again, the theme, almost a theme song of the, of the gospel of Matthew that let's go back to the Bible and and answer every question about God from the Bible. It is written. And so with worship, what does the Bible say about worship? Well, Jesus gave us really the principle of it. God is spirit and those who worship him worship in spirit and truth. But then um, Paul elaborated that. Can, Can you go over to Ephesians chapter five? And Paul, in a couple of verses, sort of parallel verses, companion verses even gives us more about the Bible way to worship. There is a way to worship Him. It's so over in Ephesians chapter 5 and I want to read uh, verses 18 and 19. Ephesians five eighteen it says do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. You want to connect verses 18 and 19. Uh, Paul saying, be filled with the Spirit. But, but how, how can that happen? Well, one way. Uh, you can sing. And specifically, he talks about psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms would be the Old Testament songs. Hymns is a kind of poetry. That's what the word means. It's a lyric. And then spiritual songs maybe are these more spontaneous, simpler songs. And he's saying that these things, as you begin to sing, right, that you can be filled with the Spirit, singing, right? Now, let's compare that over. Go over to Colossians, which is nearby, another book. Or two away, Colossians three, sixteen. Paul says almost the same thing, but he gives us just a little more truth. Uh, Colossians three sixteen. He says it like this: Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. With grace in your hearts to the Lord. He adds this thought. That you can also be filled with the word of Christ singing. And, and you know that, right? That, that when you put scripture or truth in your heart with just a, a melody attached. It tends to stick, Right? Uh, one thing I really miss about a lot of the modern songs is we don't sing Scripture songs as much as we used to. Can anybody say amen? <laughs> what? I'm not going to call out any songwriters <laughs> by name, but man, we used to that was all we used to do, right? In the early days was we would just take truth. Let the Word of Christ uh, dwell in your rich. Day. We would take truth and Scriptures and just put a melody with them. That's what this is talking about. And you know, if we were to have a competition tonight of, of Scripture memorization, uh, I would probably win. And the reason is, is I know hundreds of these songs. And I would just, I would sing my way to victory, right? Because if you take the truth and the Scripture and you just put a little melody to it, right? You fill yourself up with truth. And that's what he's saying. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. All wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, Spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So you put these two things together. And Jesus gave the principle, spirit and truth. But Paul is actually kind of helping us as, as the church. Uh, how can you go about this? Well, in Ephesians, he said, be filled with the spirit, singing. Here in Colossians, be, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing. And so these two things together, right? If I have that truth. In my heart, and as the Spirit of God just brings that truth alive, and I have this fire, worship is, is happening, and this just opens the whole door to what the Bible teaches about worship. Uh, specifically, right in both verses, He talked about the Psalms. So, in the middle of your Bible, I mean, almost right in the middle, you just open up. What do you, you got? You got one hundred and fifty songs, examples of of praising God. And it's like an encyclopedia of of worship and praise. And you have all this variety, right? Uh, Some Psalms will say, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Right? You get as loud as you want to about this truth, right? And then other Psalms, actually the Psalm right next door, that's Psalm 47, shout. Psalm 46 says, be still. So worship can be as, praise can be as loud as we want to be. It can be silent. But you have all the in-betweens and you've got instruments. Anybody, any musicians in the house? I'm going to betray myself here, but uh, uh, it's in the Bible. (laughs) Instruments and singers and choirs and harmony and melody and creativity. Six times it says, sing a new song unto the Lord. Should we be singing new songs? Right? When truth comes alive in us is it okay for the church to give new expressions of old truth when it's when the spirit of god makes something real and we sing a fresh song right just all we're doing is a new maybe a new melody can i say a new lick uh, a new uh, just a new expression where the spirit has made something alive and so we write new songs and actually every revival in the history of the church has been accompanied by new songs where the truth that is in the Bible and does not change. It comes alive and it's 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 born again in a, a new song to to God. And this is this is what the Bible teaches. You know, we've just read the New Testament, some of the key scriptures on worship, but it, it leads you back into the Psalms that open up this whole encyclopedia of, of all these these ways of worshiping the Lord. And so the thing is that the way God helped us, and especially when we're together. You, know, you, you can worship anytime, anywhere, you and the Lord, but when we're together, it just facilitates a song. We can do it together. And it's just, it's the Bible way. So the Bible way is a great way. I mean, it's beautiful, right? This 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 teaching of, of worship and, and when the Spirit of God takes that truth and, and suddenly people get excited about the Lord, this is, this is the most natural thing in the world to want to sing. It's our, it's our heritage. It's our gift from God. It's, it's beautiful. And this is, uh, this is a big key, right, for us. It's to sing back to God the truth that he's planted in our hearts. Now, there is warfare. I, I got to give you the whole truth here. Go back to Matthew 2. Not everybody's happy when people are excited about the Lord. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, we're there at verse 7. Then Herod, uh, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, Bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Liar. (laughs) That is a huge lie. And before this chapter is over, he's going to try to kill Jesus. But not just Jesus. I mean, this man was ruthless. Herod the Great, the first of the Herods. He commanded that every boy under two years of age in Bethlehem be slaughtered. And that happens before the chapter's over. So he's not happy, is he? And, you know, this is still true. That worship involves warfare. And, you know, sometimes um, that can be confusing. Uh, Psalm 149, verse 6 says, Let the high praises of God be in their mouths and the two-edged sword in their hand. You ever puzzled that? Was David, like, playing guitar? or the lute, and then a sword in the other hand. I mean, it's just almost, uh, it seems like this beautiful thing of worship when when God's people are singing to God. How how could that be accompanied by a sword? But can I give you a New Testament verse that I think says the same thing, but a little more plainly? Uh, James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. I I think it's the same thing. That somehow when we worship, we're consciously making a decision. So often in the Psalms, you read just the phrase, I will. A hundred times, I will. That there are times where you just decide, I'm going to praise God. But it's never easy, right? So as we begin to praise, there's like opposition. I think it is. It's a resisting uh, of the devil but the promise of the word is he will flee but then I love the second part draw near to God so we take a step right in faith we're reaching out we're calling on his name we're singing into your arms I'm running right we sing it tonight now the beautiful thing is if you take a step to God um, okay maybe two feet three feet <laughs> uh, If if I draw near to God he draws near to me and he takes a step towards me we're there, right? The 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 well, that's the picture. Jesus said the Father's seeking such to worship Him. The, the moment I'm aware and I'm conscious of His presence, and there's something in my heart that wants to celebrate His truth, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. But there's there's like a warfare involved. Remember, I heard a preacher years ago said that. Um, the sound of worship just drives Satan crazy. It's like a dentist drill. It just re- repels him, or somebody taking their fingers on a blackboard and just going down. It just, there's like a driving away. And, you know, I think that we experience it all the time, but it's just good to be reminded there is warfare in worship. There's a reason why it's hard to get to church sometimes. The reason why that's the tough morning. Uh, What's going on? We're going to church. Why is there so much struggle? Why is it so hard to get here? Uh, I had a hard time getting here tonight. Anybody with me? I I, uh, was not pretty out there on the 5 to the 134. And you start thinking, I'm I'm wrestling. And and is it possible that, yeah, there is an element of warfare. Uh, The world mocks worship. Ultimately, Satan hates worship. So this, this act of Herod, I want to worship him also. He's lying. He wants to kill worship. And there's a lot of warfare. To me, it's interesting too how often people will say, it was really hard for me to get here. But you know, once I got here, I didn't really want to leave. Have you ever talked to somebody that will say that the only time that they really uh, experience a certain peace over their heart is when they're in the church and they're worshiping? Now, we don't want to limit it to there. But something powerful happens there. We we, we want to learn to worship Him anywhere, anytime. But a lot of times people will say, "I, I struggle with with thoughts and crazy things, and and the the time that I uh, experience the peace that I'm looking for, it's when I'm when I'm worshiping. You know, when I'm with God's people, and it's because there is there is warfare attached to it. We have to almost. We have to almost fight for it, right? We have to say, I will. And nothing's going to stop me, right? I I just, I I want to draw near to Him because He promised me He's going to draw near to me. And and this warfare, uh, it continues. Now verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. You dive into those words and do the word studies. Um, It's explosive. You know, we read it and it sounds so stodgy. Rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. You know, there's sort of a, uh, uh, we don't talk in those ways often, but these words, uh, as you unpack them, are, are talking about a spontaneous, I would say, explosion of, of joy, of praise. Uh, these wise men, if they did indeed come from Mesopotamia, from the east, They've traveled 600 miles—a It's a very long way, you know. As, and as they finally have come and have found him, this this rejoice with exceedingly great joy is is talking about just a sheer explosion, something of, of just spontaneous praise that goes well beyond. And it's the most natural thing in the world, right? If you've been searching and looking, who knows how many months? That these men have traveled, they finally found it, and as they come, uh, the first note of this little worship service is just joy, and and this is what what we do. You know, we're made for this, but um, so often we don't understand it in in, in how it works with worship. Uh, it's the most natural thing in the world to just explode with joy when something great happens. And, you know, this happens around us all the time, usually in the realm of sports. Um, Buzzer beaters. I can't tell you the number of times I've been to a a game and and something just amazing happens in the last second and people just lose their minds. Uh, I was at my son's basketball game. My son's 13. We were just playing a little game, and, and there couldn't have been more than 20 spectators there. And uh, there was a buzzer beater, and there was another dad and I there, and uh, both of us kind of have bellies. And uh, when this thing happened, and the, the, our team won, we jumped up, and we did. it was not a chest bump. I'm not going to lie to you. Actually, it be physically impossible for the two of us to chest bump, so I'll just call it what it was. It was a belly bump, and uh, we were... It's possible that our feet were not even off the ground, but it you know it was like a semblance it was a boom and um, you just for there's there's like spontaneous moments of joy, and you know what in, in that setting, everybody was doing that, maybe not the belly part, but everybody was 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 going crazy over just a little game uh, between some thirteen year old boys and and that's that's normal, right? That's what we say. And and, and, and then I could give maybe a hundred examples of that where in the world around us, when something really great happens, people will just explode with joy and, it, and it's totally fine. But then somehow, if that gets done in the name of the Lord or because God did something or in the church or then all of a sudden that's fanatical and that's weird and you need to go to the doctor and get checked out. Yeah. You know, one of my... Favorite things is baptisms. Do you guys love baptisms? There's just something, at least for me, it's its something so real, you know, that people are really identifying with Christ in a public way and the testimonies that are always there behind those baptisms. And um, we, uh, at our church, we go to a, a pool. There's a person in our church that has a a really great big backyard with a big pool. And it's almost like a a theater. And so we'll just bring as many people up there as we can. And, you know, we'll baptize people. And um, usually I'm out in the water with my team and we're baptizing people. But then uh, the worship team is there. And uh, as each person comes up out of the water, there's just a cheer. And it's not like a, you know. (laughs) It's like a, yeah! <laughs> yeah, like there's, there's, a, there's just joy. And, and again, a lot of people there, they know the person being baptized, or they prayed for that person, or prodigals are coming home, the sons and the daughters. And um, it's so right. And you say, well, how do you know that that's the right thing? Well, the Bible says, doesn't it? Uh, Luke 15. And the, the parable parables there the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son specifically doesn't it say that there's joy in heaven over every sinner that repents that the angels in the presence of God are joyful when each one of these people comes home and so it's it's exactly right that man if you if you experience that joy at a, at a, a silly game, however pleasurable that is, if, if the Lord is working and the Lord is doing something you really have, right? There are just times where it would be exactly the right thing to do. And, and here I just wonder, you know? Tradition has these wise men, so wise that they, uh, it, it, it's almost hard to believe that this is what it says about them. But it, there it is, right? At the end of verse 10, they, who, th- these wise men uh, rejoiced, With exceedingly great joy. I don't think it was silent and quiet. I think it was was thrilling. I don't know if the wise men did belly bumps or not. But my Bible says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. That after 600 miles and however many months of searching, they found him and there was just an explosion. And it was exactly the right thing. But it wasn't just that. Uh, Verse 11 And when they had come into the house, uh, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's hard to say, you know, that there is a pattern to worship. Uh, I'm fascinated by the Psalms. Um, they're all kind of different, and yet there is frequently, you know, a picture of a person, uh, you know, enter his courts with praise and his gates with thanksgiving, and you you see sometimes that progression of you know praising God loudly and for who He is, what He's done. But then, uh, so often the worshipper will fall down. And you have here maybe that other piece, the other picture of it, that sometimes uh, being in the presence of God takes your breath away. Where God is so real to you that you, you're you speechless. And, and here, when they come in, uh, they fell down. The word worship is that. It means to prostrate yourself. And so the, the idea of praise, and there's so many words for praise in the Psalms, it, it's... It's not just one word. There are so many variations and so much creativity there. But generally praise is a person just letting it out. There's a loudness to it. Lifting your hands and praising God. But then this word worship, it's, it's, a, it's a word picture. You know, literally it's talking about a person falling down on their face. And isn't it amazing from Genesis to Revelation? When, when people come in the presence of God, no one's standing there's just people fall down in the presence of God and they worship God and they begin to sing. We have, we have songs of heaven in the book. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And this is what comes. And this is what happens here. There's just an explosion of joy. But then as they come closer and draw in, uh, they fell down and worship. And this is, this is the thing that really marks the wise men. Um, there's nothing that they can receive in return they're not worshipping him to get anything he's just a little baby and they're the one giving the gifts and that's there's a purity to that Uh, the only other one that I think maybe tops the wise men is Job you guys remember Job Uh, I think Job might be the greatest worshipper in the Bible a picture of a person that has everything taken away from them and what does Job do he bows down and he worships. He blesses the name of the Lord. I, I don't know if I can think of a, a better example of costly, sacrificial worship. There's still sacrifice and worship, right? It's not animals anymore, but it's the sacrifice of praise. Right? And people sometimes ask, uh, should I worship God if I'm not doing well? Should I worship God if I don't really... Uh, feel it. If I Should I worship God? Am I being a hypocrite if I sing praises, but in reality I'm just wiped out and I'm doing horrible. And I always say it's the highest form. When, when worship costs, when, when you do like Job, where you're worshiping in spite of those things. Or like the wise men here, I'm just going to give a gift to the Lord and I'm not actually here to get anything. I just want to give to the Lord. I want to praise Him. And there's a purity about that. Uh, the sacrifice of praise. And now, that's the beauty of these guys, you know, where there are these times where you just give it all. Right? You're, you're giving yourself, you know, you're the living sacrifice, you know, Lord, I'm yours. And it goes beyond words, doesn't it? That's where words fail, where I, I'm experiencing the presence of God and truth and the spirit. And, and I, my response is, Lord, you can have everything. You know, I, I'm yours. I, I'm the living sacrifice. And that goes beyond words, doesn't it? That that's something between you and God. And, you know, um, I've led worship for a long time and you know, sometimes you're tempted to try to gauge, you know, worship by response. But I, I've learned over and over and over some, some of the deepest and the greatest things that happen in worship are when people, are just silent before God, and you you can't see into people's hearts. So often, you, there's things that are happening where people are laying their lives down on an altar before God in worship, and you know these are holy moments, aren't they? And those things happen where, when God's revealing Himself to us, there are just times where, like David said that one time, and David was blown away where he wanted to said, "I wanted to build you a house," remember that? And then God said, uh, "No, don't need it." Uh, your your son can build it, and and, and but I'm going to build you a house, and your son is going to sit on the throne forever. Remember that, and, and then David just says, "What can I say? What can I say? I, 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 I this is where maybe we get that expression: you can't outgive God, but there there's that sacrifice and that willingness, and you you you're just like these guys. We're just going to give him all this and we don't we don't want anything we just want to be in his presence experience his presence and you know those moments right that's uh, that's a pure worship I'm I'm convinced it can happen anywhere anytime you can worship in your car you can worship on the street you can worship at home around the table or you have these times and you know uh, that's really what we need, is that the Lord would be honored and the Lord would be worshipped, that we would be able, right? Worship's not limited. I can worship Him anytime, anywhere, and and those things, right, where the Lord can be honored, and you know, you're inviting His presence, right, into your life and into your home and where you go. Now, there's one last thing I, I want to. Underline verse 12. It says, Then, uh, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, I, I mark this because I believe it's just a truth that God speaks to worshipers. And worship ultimately is, like prayer, a, a dialogue. And it's not just what we sing and what we say. Uh, the Lord can also uh, speak to us. And, and this is one of the beauties of worship. We're not there, right, for anything but to worship and praise. But when God shows up, He begins to do things. And one of the things He does is He speaks to people. Uh, the still, small voice of God. And I, I've been studying the Psalms recently. And, and as you go through the Psalms, there are these really odd passages where it's very obvious that God is speaking. It's not the psalmist. And maybe the psalmist wrote the words down. And, and it, it's hard to say exactly how that happened or even exactly how it functioned. But I'm certain that they sang the psalms like we do. But there are these sections. And I've been kind of collecting these. So so far i found about 14 psalms where it seems as though God interrupts the worshiper. And God will speak to the worshiper And and maybe I'll show you one. Uh, Can you go to Psalm 46? We'll finish over here. Psalm 46 is beautiful. But, you know, as you read between the lines, uh, the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 46. Um, There's obviously, there's trouble going on and they're pouring out their hearts in this song and, and they're being ministered to by the Lord. But then, you know, Before the psalm is over, it's Psalm 46, verse 10. Maybe you've already marked it in your Bible, right? It's one of these great verses. Psalm 46, verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, it's in the psalm, but only God can say that. Amen? Only God can say I am God. So somehow, in the the song, there's a part of it where God is uh, communicating. And I I think that it's maybe more common than we realize. And it's maybe as simple as this. There are times where we're worshiping the Lord, right? You draw near to Him, and He draws near to you. And there are times where I'm I'm focused on the Lord Jesus, and I'm worshiping, but then He speaks to me. Uh, With the wise men, it was a warning in a dream. To not go back to Herod. It was just right on. A word from the Lord that they obeyed. But aren't there times in our worship where God whispers to me. Now this, this psalm, the word of the Lord was be still. You know, As you read the whole psalm, they're in a time of trouble. And there's there's battle physically and literally going on. And, and as they're worshiping the Lord, what the truth that comes to their hearts is a, a word from God, be still. So this would be that example again. of There are times where God just wants us to be like a little child and just to have peace in His presence. And it's not about battling and warfare. Uh, he's he's going to fight the battle for us. And it's just that word of assurance that the battle belongs to the Lord. And so be still. I, I've got you, right? And so often, right, this, the Lord... You know, he does speak to us in in worship and these become precious things to us, right? This is, this maybe is the reward of a person who's a worshiper. You you spend time in the presence of God and sure enough, he will show up and he he speaks to our hearts. I remember um, some years ago, I got a chance to go to Israel and I went to Bethlehem and um, I was disappointed (laughs) in that spot. I was not disappointed with the whole church. I I love studying the Bible in Israel, but uh, they've built this giant church over the spot. And maybe you've seen it on television. seems like they always have a news camera there uh, on Christmas Eve, the the church there in Bethlehem. And the way it works is you walk into this giant church, but then the spot is sort of underneath. It's kind of like in the basement under the ground. And you go down there and as you go in and... um, what what you find is uh, there's a gold star. You can laugh if you want to, but uh, there's a star, and it's in marble, and then there's silver, and there's gold, and you're in this very uh, ornate, you know, room. And I just remember thinking, nah, this can't be it. This isn't. This is tradition again. This isn't. This isn't Jesus. This is like Macy's. And, uh, and I know that it's not, Jesus was not born in Macy's. And then I, I'll be honest, this is what happened. It's just one of those moments, right? I was just so sort of uh, disappointed. I just kind of went down on the floor. I, didn't, I wasn't, uh, wasn't being spiritual, right? I wasn't kneeling to pray. I think I actually just sat down on the floor, sort of disgusted with the whole thing. And as I sat there on the floor, um, I just looked up and I, and I looked up how many of you guys have been to Israel? Anybody? I know Pastor X. Yeah. So you've been there. I looked up and, and uh, the ceiling was kind of covered. It wasn't a ceiling. It was rock. And it was black from all the candles and that stuff. But it just a, maybe just a moment or two or three, I realized I was sitting in a cave. And I'd been all around Judea and the wilderness there. And I'd seen... caves and even today the shepherds uh, bring their animals in the caves and and put a little stone wall and they keep them safe at night and and uh, that sort of fits the place and the tradition the culture of how uh, they would where they would put animals and and then it just just hit me Uh, not not so much that this is the place or some sort of archaeological question but you know the truth that Jesus was born in humility, just a cave, and I, I, I. That, it hit me. It hit me. You know that the Jesus I worship, um, when he took on flesh, did it in absolute humility, simplicity, even poverty. You know, and worship hit me, that's, that's the one that I worship, this is the Jesus that I know, and, you know I, I just feel like this is sort of the great need that um, it just seems like so many things that we do to celebrate Christmas completely obscure it completely, uh, almost at times erase Christ out of Christmas it shouldn't be uh, and, and rather than abandoning it, right? we as believers, we have the truth and by the Spirit of God that, that we can bring it Right, that there are times and places where Jesus He's the one that should be worshipped and praised. And man, as we focus on him, there's all kinds of opportunities to know him better and to worship him and to find those places of stillness where he can minister things to my heart and you know, in the middle of it all, right, that the Lord the Lord then speaks to our hearts. And he reveals himself to us. And ultimately that is the reward of worship. Knowing him. Drawing near to him, but then experiencing him drawing near to us. And that's sort of my prayer for all of you. That uh, you keep your eyes on Jesus. You would take hold of this time and just maybe more than ever, try to keep it simple. You know, Worshiping him. Letting him renew your hearts. He can be blessed and honored this time. Amen. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray. Now, Lord, the first thought that comes to mind is that worship is a battle. It just seems that there are things that would try to stop us. And um, we consciously, Lord, as we open the Bible, realize that that's, that's true. There's a warfare about it. We need to decide. It's a matter of the will. And, and when we resist the devil, praise the Lord. The truth is he resi- he flees. And then when we draw near to You, and the truth is, we're, we're never alone. And Lord, I, I would pray the blessing Lord, of just having Christ be the center and, and the focus of, of all of our, our activity, our busyness. And somehow we would stay so fixed on Jesus and there would be many my, my prayer is so simple that for all my brothers and sisters here there'd be many moments that you would just whisper be still we could experience Lord the grace and mercy Lord there are battles but we know the battle belongs to the Lord and, and we realize too so often while we're uh, praying we're worshiping uh, the answer is already on the way you, that you spoke by the angel of Daniel he said from the moment you started to pray you know I was sent and the battle was being fought and Lord we realized that uh, you fight for us so you you're the Lord worthy of worship mighty in battle victorious Lord you're the one that we need to follow and tune into to hear your voice and I, I pray heavens be open i pray that your blessings from heaven would just fall upon this congregation would full of truth but that truth would be on fire in the spirit as we worship you i pray these things in jesus name amen